Take your Bibles, remain standing, turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 4. Thank you, Pastor Alex and team, appreciate it. Exodus chapter 4, we're going to read just five verses. I'm going to read from the New International Version, but we will be referring back to Exodus chapter 3 and to other places in Scripture, so you'll be sure to keep your Bible open or your device. Here we go. Are you ready? Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that, if, so that they may believe, pardon me, that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Father, thank you for what you've done in the first service and now what you'll do in the second and what you'll do even through media and this message that even has potential to go around the world. We pray, God, that you would release all that's in your heart to us. Come on, ask God to speak to you today. Release all that's in your heart to us today. May we never be the same. In the name of Jesus, because you have spoken your word, a lamp unto a feet, light upon our path. Break in with truth, break in with light. Let your word run swiftly today. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. You may be seated. This is a profound passage, and once again, we have notes. If you don't have those, slip your hand up. They are also available on the app right now. Profound passage of the calling of Moses. The calling of Moses. And you see this in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4, and it's in this passage that we get a revelation of God. We get a revelation of the calling of Moses and we get a revelation of our own calling. I want you to say, make it personal, say, I am called. Say it. I am called. And so the title of this morning's message is, You Are Called. So God here has revealed himself to Moses. And he calls Moses by name. God calls him by name. God knows your name. God knows where you live. God knows your birth date. He knows you're rising up. He knows you're setting down. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. God knows your name. And that's encouraging to me. It's encouraging that God knows everything about us. God speaks to Moses and calls him by name. So no matter what you're going through today, he knows what you're going through. He knows your frame. It says in Scripture, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. There's a personal God who revealed himself to Moses and he wants to reveal himself to you this morning in a new way. You might be saved and serving God for 20 years. He wants to reveal himself to you in a new way. And he reveals himself here in this text as a covenant God. He's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You'll notice in, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, he said... Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. In verse 15 of Exodus chapter 3, 
he says, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God's a covenant God. God's into relationship. He's a relational God, which is different than the deist. The deist believe in creation. The deist believe in God, but they don't see God as a personal, intimate God. They see him as, as like a clockmaker would wind up the clock and then back off and watch it run. That is not the way our God is. That is not the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible who's outside of time, who's outside in a place called eternity, stepped into time, spoke and made the earth, spoke and said, let there be light, spoke and made all the sea and all the creatures and all of mankind, forming him out of the dust of the ground, breathing the nefesh of God and making him a living soul, made in the image of God, God then intervening in the affairs of man. God is not afar off. He's as near as the words in your mouth. He can step in time and step into time and step into history as he did with his one and only begotten son to take the sin of the world upon himself that you might be free, you might be healed, you might be delivered. Come on, he was crucified. He was bruised. He was pierced for our transgressions. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. His name is Jesus, the one and only begotten, fully God, fully man, intervening in the affairs of mankind that's not like us we're inside of time God's outside of time and he's a covenant God he's the God of Abraham the God of Isaac the God of Jacob as I'm getting a little bit older that just makes more sense to me than it ever did before I'm always seeing generations now when I'm reading scripture before I would skip genealogies because I could hardly pronounce them but I took note that, they, that God was concerned about individuals. I mean, you see a list of 50 names. He's concerned about individuals. Even, even in the book of Romans, you see the apostle Paul says, greet, greet, greet. And he goes through these lists of all these people that were friends and, and, and people that he dearly loved. He was personal. God's a personal God. We should be personal. But he's a God of covenant. And the promises that God gave your forefathers will come about even in your lifetime if they haven't come about yet. God's a covenant-keeping God. He's a gen God of the generations. Prayers are eternal. And God has heard the cry of his people in Egypt. And it says there that, that we didn't read this, but he's come in response to their cry. He came in response to the cry of his children in Egypt. You know, when you begin to cry out to God, that's the beginning of your deliverance. You begin to call on his name, that's the beginning, that's the when he begins to show you think great and mighty things that you know not. When you begin to lift your voice and intercede fervently. You know, they, uh, Alexander Graham Bell, they, they made the, the it's, I was going to say a ringtone, but it was the telephone, the sound of the telephone, the original sound of the telephone. Do you know what it was modeled after? It was modeled after the cry of a baby. That's what it, it, it's, it's rhythmic like the cry of a baby. They tried to copy that because crying babies are hard to ignore, as Mike and Elizabeth are about to find out <laughs> shortly. How many of you know the cry of a baby is hard to ignore? And so they modeled it after that. Do you know there's an interesting thing that happens in a woman's body, in a woman's body when they hear, in fact, I, I don't know, maybe it's all women when they hear the cry, the cry of a, their child, a thing, milk begins to let down. That's a supernatural thing. Do you know that there is a supernatural event that when you begin to cry out, how many of you know when a baby's hungry, they're not like, wah. <laughs> wah. 
wah. Oh, well. No, I, I'm not even going to model what that is because it'd it scare us right now. Yeah, I mean, it's just fully passionate. Ah, I mean, you can see like well up and their faces contort. And they're like, ah, they're they going to get fed or, or changed or something. When you read scripture, it says the children of Israel cried out and God sent a deliver. It was not wah. And some of you have a prayer life that's like that. Wow. There's a different kind of prayer that brings deliverance, and it's not a wah. It's a, it's a full-on heart's cry. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, a broken and contrite heart. He will not spurn. You begin to lift your voice like that. God comes and answer to prayer. Come on, the milk flows. You begin to cry out to God. He'll come with power. He'll come with authority. So the children of Israel, they're in bondage. They cry out, God hears, it's time, bondage time's over. It's time for deliverance, and he sends, he sends a deliverer. He heard the cry for their deliverance, and he would bring and fulfill the promise of Abraham to bring Israel, the nation of Israel, back to Canaan's land. If you'll look in chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, God reveals his name. God reveals his name, and it's rather unusual at a glance. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites, and they say to me, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what's his name then? Oh, yeah? So God sent you? So what's his name? So he says that to the Lord. So what am I going to say your name is? And the Lord says, I am. You tell him I am that I am. I'd have no clue what that meant when I first got saved, but I know a little bit more now. When, when God says, I am, and by the way, you want to turn in your Bible to John 8 quickly, please. John 8. He, he's referring to his character. There are seven attributes of God, and I won't go through all of those. Maybe at, a, at another time, I'm working on a series called I Am. Because when you understand who he is, and then you understand who you are, because I am can be seen either way. The I am, he, he is the I am, and I am who I am because he is the I am. I mean, it's, it's got to think that through a little bit. He's the self-existent one. He's, he's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He knows everything, and he's everywhere. And so, and there, there are seven of those. And within the existence of the one God, there's three distinct persons, but all of them being God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's called the Trinity. I've had people say, well, the Trinity is not in Scripture. No kidding. It was coined by an early church father. It, it, it talks about the, the, the revelation of the one hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one God, but yet there's three distinct persons within the Godhead. If you attack that, you tear down the fact that Jesus is God or the Holy Spirit is God or the Father is God. You attack the Godhead. You begin to destroy that. You become an, a, a Christian cult, basically. So as long as, as, long as a, a people don't destroy the Godhead, then, then everything's okay. You start destroying the fact of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're in trouble. And so when, when Jesus said, when Jesus said in John 8, verse 58, I, I got to back up because we missed a, missed a point. This self-existent creator of all things, holding all things together by his mighty word, chose Moses. He picked him. He chose him. God's chosen you. Come on, say, God's chosen me. 
I mean, that's kind of amazing. Moses doesn't really want that to take place. He really doesn't want that. Just hold your finger in John 8. Moses doesn't really want that to take place. He's got all kinds of excuses, and his excuses, his responses remind me of me and you and you and you and you and you and you. It reminds me of us. His responses are like, you've got to be kidding. Come I mean, if, if the President of the United States, whether you're for him or against him, because of his office, if he called and he said, okay, Mike Lane, I want you to come to the, to the White House. You're no longer going to Iraq. You're going to the White House. That'd be it. Your orders change. You'd be honored, right? You'd be like, let's go. I don't know what we're doing at the White House. Lori would still miss you unless she could go. But you're going to the White House. If I got called and invited to the White House, I'm going. Listen, if you hate the president or love the president, it's irrelevant because you're a, hopefully you've got honor for the office. If he called, you'd say, yes, here I am. Right? Am I right about that? That is not the response of Moses. Moses' response, if you look at, at uh, chapter 3, verse 11, he's, he feels inadequate. Fill in your notes. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He felt inadequate. We all feel inadequate. Welcome to the human race. You feel like you can't do it? Awesome. Welcome to the club. That's why the Lord has given us scriptures like, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's why the apostle Paul said, in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. If you're feeling weak and inadequate, it's a setup for God to come through with power. We all feel inadequate. We all feel like we don't have enough. In fact, that ought to be an indication that you're right on track. But in God, we can do all things. And Moses felt inadequate. I can almost hear Moses. Lord, the last time I was in Egypt, the last time I was there, I killed somebody. I'm a moiterer. Have you forgotten that I'm a moiterer? I tried to deliver them before. It didn't work out. How about send somebody else, huh? Let's talk. I can almost hear him saying that. But that's not, that, I can't do it. He goes on to say, I, I don't know enough. Look at verse 13. Moses said, suppose, well, suppose, he's got all these excuses. Excuses, excuses, excuses. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and they say, the God of your father sent me. Who should I say that sent me? He's like, I don't know enough. I don't know who you are. I, I don't know enough. So many people are stopped because they feel like they don't have enough knowledge. Well, I'll tell you right now, you don't have enough knowledge. Here's the amazing thing about that for all of you that have been educated. When you're 16 and 17, it's hard to know everything, but you'll find out. And all of the parents said, Hallelujah. It's a painful process to be 16 or 17 and know everything. When you graduate from high school, move on to college, maybe, you start getting educated, you realize you know very little. Then somewhere learn about undergraduate school, you'll feel like you start knowing something again because knowledge has a tendency to puff up unless you work with people. That has a tendency to humble you. And then if you get into graduate school, you'll, you'll realize, and hopefully it happens before you leave university, or hopefully it happens at some point in your life, that the more you learn, the more you realize you know less and less about most things. 
And so you can have a whole bunch of degrees. It doesn't mean anything. Well, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to degrade that. I think education is important, but you can be educated beyond your own intellect. You can be educated into thinking that knowledge is that which is what you need to bring you into your destiny. And I'm going to tell you, you need knowledge. You need the knowledge of God. You need information. But you need an anointing. You need God's empowerment. You need God's enablement. You need God to, to touch the staff and equip you and, and set you on fire to empower you because it's not knowledge that's going to save the world. It's, it's a great revival and outpouring of the Spirit. And yeah, we need knowledge. But he's complaining. He says, I, I, I don't know enough. In Acts chapter 4, if you were to go there, we see that, that Peter and John at the hour of prayer are brought, you know, they come to the hour of prayer and there's a man brought daily to beg. And, and you know the story. Silver and gold have I none. Oh gosh, that'll tie right in. Here, let me teach you out of your crippled state. You can't teach people out of a crippled state. You can give them the word, and by faith, faith, faith grows through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. So, so you can share the word, and that begins to release the supernatural power of faith to operate in somebody's life so that they can be healed, that they can be set free. But Peter and John, at the hour of prayer, come to a man who's brought there. He's about 40 years old, and they say, I don't have any silver, and I don't have any, um, I don't have any silver or gold, but, but I do have something that might help you out. Uh, uh, here, just, I'm kind of mocking a little bit. Because some of you think if you're just a little smarter, you can get the person off the ground. And I'm going to tell you something. It has nothing to do with knowledge. Except for the revelation that comes that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is available for you. Such as I have. The church has forgotten what we have. The church has forgotten what we have. Such as I have, I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Bam! Immediately his ankles, his legs are made strong. Come on, you guys know the verses, Right? And he goes in and he has church for the first time in the temple. He's not been allowed in before. A revival breaks out. Thousands of people get saved. I'm fast forwarding in Luke 4 now. He's brought before the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the couldn't sees, the wouldn't sees, the religious leaders of the day, stand before him and they question him. And they're like, man, whose name are you preaching in? And in the name of Jesus, well, you, we forbid you. And they, they, they rebuke him and they say this about him. They, took, they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And they took note, listen very carefully, it's, an, it's, near, it's, it's nearly perfect in, the, uh, in my language, it's not so much paraphrased. They took note that they were simple, ignorant fishermen, but they had been with Jesus. Now listen, think about that for a second. So this notable miracle had been done, they could not deny it. They took note, saw their boldness, simple, ignorant fishermen. That has nothing to do with graduating from seminary or graduating from MIT or graduating from the highest schools of the land. They didn't talk about, no, they just saw this boldness and they took note. They were simple, ignorant fishermen. That seems to be like a minus mark or something. But they had been with Jesus. You see, power is released through relationship. The power of the Holy Spirit is released through a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Some of you want to walk in a new dimension and power. Well, if you don't have a relationship with him, you're, you're grieving him all the time. It's going to be hard to see him released through you. God's calling Moses. I don't know enough. I don't know how to handle problems, Exodus 4.1. I can't talk good. I am Groot. How many of you know what, can we do what Groot is? Okay, I'm not endorsing the movie. Just relax and don't be so religious. Guardians of the Galaxy or something. There's this, there's this character. It's a tree or something, and his name is Groot. And he can't talk so good, said the raccoon. 
right? So all he says is, I am Groot, but the raccoon can translate what he says. So he says, I am Groot in a couple different tones. I am Groot, I am Groot. I mean, he says it a bunch of different ways and the raccoon translates it. Yet he at times saved the entire galaxy. Some of you are like, what are you trying to say, Pastor Daniel? God was called by Moses. Moses had objections. Moses had, had, had all these excuses. I don't know enough. Who are you? I can't talk good. I am Groot. And he argued with the Lord. And, and finally, finally, it gets down to it. And by the way, through his arguing, God's like, all right, you can have your brother, your, you know, your brother-in-law, Aaron. Or your brother, his brother, 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 brother. I got it. You have your brother Aaron. How many of you know Aaron caused him a whole lot of problems too? He, God wanted to use him, but he, he, he insisted. He insisted, I don't have it. And because of his insistence, the Lord's like, fine. You can have Aaron. You happy? But then we get down to it, which is chapter 4, verse 13. Oh Lord, says Moses, please. Send someone else. This is us. This is us. Oh, I can't have somebody in my house. I, I can't have a small group in my house because, well, you know, I just, I just can't. I'm just not ready. My house isn't finished. Or, oh, Jesus, help us all. We'll always have excuses. I don't know enough. I can't talk good. I'm Groot. He's got all these excuses, and, the, and it gets down to it. And really, the problem was, is he didn't want to go. The real problem with Moses, this is going to sting a little bit because I'm applying it to your life and mine. The real problem was the problem with self. That's the real problem. He was scared. He was fearful. He didn't know the power of God. He had a lot of excuses, and he didn't want to go. He didn't want to be go. I'm uncomfortable with that. Has anybody ever told you that? I don't want to do that because I'm uncomfortable. I'm not talking about sin. I'm just saying they don't want to do it because they're uncomfortable. You know, God has come to comfort the afflicted, but he's come to afflict the, the comfortable. And many times things won't, you won't see a deliverance if you learn to get, you got to get out of your comfort zone. You got to get out of the place where you're at and be placed in a, in a place where God can use you. And many times it's uncomfortable. So he wants somebody else to go. You know, to the degree that you'll yield to the Lord is the degree that he will use you. So God's, God's calling us. God's calling me. God's calling you. Pastor, I've never had a burning bush experience. Well, may I be the burning bush for you today. May this bald head preacher be a burning bush. See, some people think that the curtains have to blow straight up or you have some, you know, an angel came and touched you or, you know, that might happen, but it, it doesn't have to happen. By the very fact that Jesus lives on the inside of you, that is a burning bush enough. Do you still have your finger in John 8? Good, turn there now. All right, John 8. Let's put it up on the screen. So Jesus is, is getting a hard time from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious people. And he says this in John 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Go to John 8, 59 now, the following verse. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple 
going through the midst of them and so passed by. I, how does he do that? He's gone. And I mean, he's standing right there and he disappears. They go to stone him. You know why? Because he claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be God. When he says, go back to verse 58, when he says, before Abraham was, I am, he's quoting this scripture in Exodus chapter 3. I am the self-existent, omnipresent, omniscient one, fully God, yet fully man. I am the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And that's why they picked up stones, because the, the punishment for blasphemy was death. And they picked up stones to kill him. But he slipped through the midst. Jesus is God. And he's called us, he's called you, he's called me, all of us, like a burning bush, to be like a Moses, to be a deliverer. Listen, you and I are many times the only Jesus some people will ever see. Many of you disqualify yourself because of your past. You disqualify yourself because you don't think you know enough. You disqualify yourself because you can't talk good. You disqualify yourself for whatever reason. But I'm going to tell you, you are qualified by the very blood that flowed from Calvary and still flows today. That man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And if you'll position yourself under the spout where the glory comes out and walk and move into the new creation that he's called you to be, push yourself away from the things that bind. Let yourself get free from the chains and the, and the tormentor and move into a new identity with Jesus. Then you too will be a deliverer to your family, to the community. God has called you. You are called. Tell your neighbor, you are called. Tell your, tell your other neighbor, say, you are called. Yeah, you're called just like Moses. You're called just like Moses. So am I to be a lover of God and a deliverer of men. So we have to stop making excuses that we don't have enough, that we don't know. No kidding. Welcome to the club. I mean, how does a human being raise the dead? They don't, but by the power of God, we can raise the dead. How, how do you heal cancer? Well, thank God for modern medicine, but even all those ideas come from the Lord, most of them, that work. How do you set somebody free from bondage in the name of Jesus? Well, that's the power of Jesus. That's, what, that's how. How does that happen? I'm not exactly sure. I just know it works. Call me simple and call me uneducated if you want to. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have in the name of Jesus. Rise. I'm going to tell you something. America has had far too much powerless pablum Christianity. People need to be set on free and realize you're called. You're going to wait for somebody to come and write a new book that's going to sweep across the nation. How about be the book? How, 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 about, how about be the answer? How about be the one that goes into the highways and byways? You well, I just feel like I'm supposed to stay home. Well, then reach everybody you can through social media. Do whatever you can to reach out into the community. Quit being reduced into a religious person who's got no power, no authority. So you don't feel like you have it? You don't. <laughs> no kidding. None of us do. Oh, but by God, by the power of God, we can. Moses didn't have it. But we're all called to make disciples. Write it in your notes. We're all called to what? Make disciples. In Matthew 28, verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority has been given to me on earth. It's been given to me, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go make disciples. The same call on Moses to be a deliverer is a call to be, for you and I to be a deliverer. Come on, someone say, I'm called to be a deliverer. Say it, ready, say it, go. I'm called to be a 
Now you'll notice in the text that God tells Moses what's in your hand. What's in your hand, Moses? And he says, um, a staff. Who knows what Moses did for a living? Anybody here know what Moses did? What was his job? He tended the sheep for his father-in-law Jethro. That's what he did day in, day out. The staff that he carried with him was a symbol of him being a shepherd. Anybody who had a staff like he carried knew that that was a shepherd's, a shepherd's staff. And so that's what he carried. And as he stands before the Lord at the age of, what is it? Is he 80? 80 years old. Some of you, that's, a, that's another excuse. Well, I'm too old. No, you're not. He stands before the Lord with, the, with the, the staff of a shepherd and the Lord says, what's in your hand? He's like, oh, this? Um, that's a staff. And he says, throw it down. He throws it down and from that moment, the staff of a shepherd became what's called the rod of God. And you will see throughout the story of Moses, the rod of God is at every miracle breakthrough that there is. And it's a picture of this. That your vocation, your job, your career, whatever you do, you could be a doctor, you could be a lawyer, you could be a politician, you could be a teacher, you could be a household technician, you could be a student, you could be a professor, a plumber, a carpenter, a contractor, a chef. Whatever you do, that's like the rod that's in your hand. And if you will allow God to take your vocation, allow God to take your career, allow God to take your life, and you throw it into his hands, it will be like the rod of God. I'm telling you, God wants to use you to bring the influence of the kingdom of God into every corner of our society. I preached on it recently about Joab and how Joab swam up the water pipe. It was really a sewer pipe by some Stand by some scholars' estimation of it. He swam up 134 feet of sewer pipe to let open the gates of the city of Zion for David and his army. And we need people to realize that if you're a teacher or wherever you are, whatever your employment is, whatever your vocation is, it is literally to be the rod of God and that you should allow the influence of the kingdom in that job, in that place, to be released. And in doing that, it'll be like opening the gates to the kingdom. Come on, can you say amen? amen? And so Moses with this rod, with this rod of God, what's up? Play a little kung fu right there. With the rod of God in his hand, no longer a shepherd's rod. It's a symbol of his career. God empowered his, his staff, and I'm gonna tell you, God will empower you in your career as a restaurant owner. God will empower you. I challenge you and correct the thinking that in your mind, that partition that breaks down the secular and the spiritual, you must break it down. You must remove the wall, the dividing wall that, that's your church and spiritual life, and then I go to work. Listen, the go to work is where you release the rod of God. And you've got to do it in such a way that's allowed. I mean, you can't go preaching to everybody. While you're, you, you, know, you work, you be the best employee there. You, you, you clock in early and on time. 
You stay late. You do the best you can. You show up like you're like you show up dressed for the part. I believe in that. I, b- I believe in, come on, be, be diligent. Be, just be the best. If you name yourself a name by the name of the Lord, by a Christian, then you ought to carry yourself in excellence in everything that you do. So that when people have, they, you don't make personal phone calls on your own time, constantly getting up and working your social media when you should be working on your computer or doing something. Taking pens from the job and just stealing them, not even having every thought. Come on, you shouldn't even take a paper clip home for God's sake. It's not yours. Look at your neighbor and say, man, he ain't talking to me. Is he talking to you? Come on, look at your neighbor. I don't know what he's talking about. All of us should see ourselves empowered in the areas of influence to make a difference. If you're a server, you're a waiter, you're a waitress, you're a manager or a maitre d', a supervisor, no matter what you do, see yourself ordained by God, called by God to be his, his, his ambassador. His minister. He said, well, I'm a student. Then be the best student there is. Who knows, maybe you'll become the, you know, the, the top of your class and be able to give a speech and then you can glorify God and turn the hearts of people. God wants to empower what's in your hand. What's in your hand? What are you doing? He said, I don't have a job. Well, get one. He said, well, I, I, just, I just like eating from other people. Well, I rebuke you. I'm on welfare. Well, don't stay on welfare. Get a job. Come on, somebody say, get a job. Get a job. No, it's interesting. Recently, uh, recently, uh, someone close, they needed a job. Uh, they got a job in a day. A day. I've known people that move here and can't find a job in six months. Now, you just tell me what the problem is. <laughs> it's not with the job department. Come on, some little boy showed up at my mom's house during the summer. With our two little mowers. Hi, we're from the Baptist Church, and we really, and we we, we just we just want to you know mow your lawn and bless you. And they did. They mowed the lawn. They blessed. Guess what though? That turned into work for them all over the neighborhood. But some people are so lazy they won't get off their blessed assurance to go knock on someone's. Jesus, help me out. I might get myself in trouble here in a second. I better move on with some of my illustrations. How many of you know who Pat Boone? Uh, Pat Boone. Pat Boone. It's that guy that wore the white shoes. You remember, anybody remember Pat Boone? Pat Boone got gloriously saved. Him and his wife, and I think her name was Shirley, if I get it remember correctly. They got gloriously saved. They sang these songs that made everybody feel good. And, and if you don't know who that is, that's okay. You'll get the illustration, okay? He got gloriously saved and began to lead people in Hollywood to Christ all over the place. And his house and his pool became a baptismal, the pool became a baptismal tank. He baptized more people in his house and from people in Hollywood. I mean, it was just amazing. In fact, he became one of our guest speakers early on. And I think it was 1982 or 83, he became a guest speaker in our church back in Hawaii. How many of you heard of uh, a man by the name of Jack Hayford? Jack Hayford pastored a church, a small little it's Pentecostal Church in Van Nuys, California. Well, Pat Boone and his wife, they, they, they became members of the church in Van Nuys. It grew tremendously, and all those people from Hollywood began to flood that church. 
That church changed its name. It called Church on the Way, I think is what it was called. And it went on to be one of the mega churches in our nation, and it still is a mega church in our nation. It was a small, little Pentecostal work. But what happened? I'll tell you, you want to know what happened? What happened is somebody who's in Hollywood took the staff. They took the, they took the rod. They took their gifting. They took their talent. They took their influence, and they reached it out in Hollywood, and it affected so many people that it brought a major change to Van Nuys, and the effects of that has affected our entire nation even to this day. There was a lady who said, well, I'm not, I'm not an entertainer. Okay, well, well what are you? What, what giftings do you have? Use what you have. Some people want the, the next major anointing, but they don't lose, use the anointing that you got. You, come on, God's not going to give you a fresh download of something if you're sitting squandering it on the new, you know, 2K18. Come on, somebody say Hallelujah. She'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I said the newest game came out of Friday, the basketball game. <laughs> Video game. Kyrie Irving's on the cover. Thanks, coach. <laughs> Lady that would ride a bike uh, to sell ice cream in, in a foreign country. I think it's Thailand. Small city of a couple hundred thousand, I think it was. And, she would ride her bike. She was a part of a little Pentecostal church, about 100 people in it. And she would ride her bike and sell ice cream to people all around the capital area. And she believed that God would anoint her, that God's power would be on her. And she would pray over her ice cream that when people ate it, they would have an inclination to serve the Lord and get saved. So that's where her faith was at. She prayed over the ice cream every day, and she would serve ice cream to officials. And one day, the, the main governor of the entire province came through and bought an ice cream cone from her. She, as he's eating the ice cream cone, he begins to weep, and she leads him to Christ right there by her little ice cream bike. He gets gloriously saved. She invites him to church. He comes to church, a little church of 100 people, gets touched by the power of God, and repents and exposes corruption in the government, returns all the money that he stole, and exposes the, the uh, they had a, a contractor um, scam going on where a contractors would get paid money from the government to do particular tax, and it was just money laundering, and it was stealing from the people. He repented, he exposed it, and, and he was released from the, uh, from the, the effects of the law of that, they turned, they forgave him of it, and they turned that, I should get the name of the city because it's a true story. Yeah, she used her ice cream, car, uh, pardon me, bike. She used her ice cream bike business that impacted a whole region. What if God used you at school? What if God used you in the marketplace? What if God put a boldness on you and you took the, the, the rod, the, your career, and you made it a calling? What if God did that? What if God, what if God took what you did? The raising of your kids, some of your kids are going to be world changers if you'll just look at it differently. Just see the, I'm going to tell you, raising godly children is one of the highest callings there is. I don't know what other higher calling there could be. If you lose your family, then you're worse than the unbeliever, the Bible says. Worse than the unbeliever is the man who doesn't provide for his family. You don't spend time with your kids, I rebuke you. Change it. Keep your word. Go out and play some ball. Do something. Put your phone up. Quit being distracted from destiny. Man, I'm preaching better than your amen. Quit, quit, quit being deterred in the purpose that God has for you. 
Thank God for godly mothers and godly fathers. Well, I didn't come from that. So what? You can have it now. How about change? I want you to take uh, with me, please, take these guides. Take one of these guides. And I want you to open that up. Come on, take one of these. See this beautiful. Thank you to our whole media department. This is our fall guide. And I, I'm closing. It's my first close. Take one of these guides. If you put it in the hands of everybody, please. Take one of these. Put it in your Bible. Put a magnet on it, on your fridge. That's the only thing I don't like about those stainless steel fridges. They don't work with magnets. But, but the side of it does. All right, so put it on the side of your fridge. Do, I don't know. Do what, however it works for you. These are the new small groups and ministries. Why are we doing this? Because you need to get discipled. You need to grow in the things of God so that you can fulfill the promises of God. You are never going to walk into your destiny if you don't resource yourself. My, when my wife and I got married, we knew we were going to have kids. We were excited about it. We didn't have them yet. And I remember, I could tell you where I was standing in the church. I would think we were on the second or third row back. I'm standing with Pastor Karen on my right. We're newly married 20 years ago. And I think I said to you, and this is, a, this is at least how I remember it. Okay. I said, man, we got to learn how to raise kids. And we looked at a family in front of us. It happened to be Pastor Brian and Kelly Reynolds. Both of them came from Christian families and all of that. And their kids were one of the most obedient, worshiping. I mean, you'd look at these. It was just amazing. I just look at them and I'm like, how do they do that? It's like they're so happy. Their kids were filled with joy. They weren't mumbling and complaining and pitching a fit and pulling someone's hair and gouging someone's eye. I'm just thinking, man, how do they, how do, they do that? That's like supernatural. I mean, look at that. Look at that. I want that. Remember? Do you remember that? I remember it. I said, oh, we want a family like, we want a family like that. I want that. But we didn't know how to get that. So you know what we did? We found out that they were doing a small group. All those years ago, it was called Growing Kids God's Way. So we actually led a small group. Our, that's what we were, we, were, we were leading a small group together. We would do our small group. That small group was on the same night that ours was. And so what we would do is do our small group. We would leave quick and catch the end of theirs. And we, we learned to read the books and learn to grow, learned about discipline, learned about training, learned about giving your kids a moral warehouse. And I remember somebody saying to me, oh, your kids are so obedient. You're so lucky. Thinking luck. First of all, Christians don't even believe in luck. And if you have obedient kids, I promise you it has nothing to do with luck. It has everything to do with training. And so the little kid that comes, you can't go anywhere with him because he clears off. I'm not talking to anybody specifically. So if you're being convicted, that's the Lord. It's not me. I got nothing to do with it. I'm just talking here. Your kid goes in and cleans off the coffee table and breaks the crystal that's there, or the friends that you're visiting. And you can't go see friends because your kids are little terrors. They need training. They need training. I said they need training. How are you going to learn that? You get that through. How do you learn how to do your checkbook? Listen, when you get saved, you give your heart to Jesus. That's the first step. If that was it, you'd die right on the spot. No, God wants to teach you to rule and reign. You need to learn how to have a healthy marriage. We didn't, we didn't know how to do that either. We said, well, what do we, how do we learn how to have a healthy marriage? Go to a marriage resource. Go to resource yourself with healthy marriage stuff. Learn to die. 
Die to yourself. That's the key to marriage. Okay, I'm just helping you guys out. Learn to die to yourself. All right? I've got, it's like, we need to have like a marriage seminar or something because you guys ain't amen and nearly as much as you need to. Yeah, it all, it's not about you. Put your newspaper up, put your phone down, serve your wife, help your wife, be Christ like Christ to the church. That means crucifixion. Don't worry, there's a resurrection. But have the act to have a crucifixion. You're not gonna have a healthy marriage. You're gonna learn to die to yourself. I didn't know that. I thought she was, you know, born to just serve me. Y'all, you ladies ought to thank me right now. Go and say, thank you, Pastor. Yeah, how do you learn that stuff? How about handling your finances? How about investments? How do you do that? Does it just happen by osmosis because you come to church? No, it's called discipleship. There's a biblical way to handle your money. There's a biblical way to have a healthy marriage. There's a biblical way to have healthy kids. There's a biblical way to fulfill the plan and purpose for your life. But if you don't get plugged in and you don't get trained and you don't get a part of community to learn those things, how is that going to happen? Well, it can happen on your own, no doubt. But if you never do it, then you'll be busted, disgusted with a hurting marriage and kids that don't serve the Lord. I'm, I'm blowing it out a little bit, but I'm trying to shock you. Are you being discipled? Good. Be discipled and be a disciple and make a disciple. Say it with me. Be a disciple. All right. Would you take this home? And I challenge you. If they start this week, plug in. I need more leaders. If you feel like you're called to leadership, then please start the process of we have a training to help you get through it. Hello. And just if you if you fulfill all the requirements and go through all the steps of training, does that make you a leader? Of course not. But it's a minimal requirement. Modeling it, living it. Come on, if you have, you're going to keep sin in your life, you're not going to be a leader, period. And you get in, you get in relationship with people, then you'll, you start to realize, you know, some people are like, I don't, I don't like being in a relationship. Yeah, that can be a little challenging. People can hurt your feelings. If you haven't been offended here, you will be soon. It's just part of life. You're not going to offend you on purpose. The Word of God does offend. Jesus spoke things that offend. God has empowered us to make disciples. So I challenge you. You're called. You're called. So come on, say, I'm called. Yeah, you're called to reach the community, to reach these places of influence. Embrace it. Let God empower you. You feel weak? You feel like I am Groot? Welcome to the club. Let, let the Lord empower you. Start stepping out. Let Him lead you. Let Him, let him, let him touch you. Ask for zeal. Ask for boldness. Pray. And get discipled. Renew your mind. Have a, have a place to serve here. I said that last week. It's so important. Amen. Did you get something today? Stand up on your feet all across this place. Come on, lift your hands to heaven. If you're not right with God, don't leave this place in the condition that you came in. There really is a place called hell. It's not been created for you or me. And the only the way that you find yourself there is by not receiving the free gift of salvation, the gift of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. There is no other way. There's no other way to enter into heaven but by repentance. You must receive it, and you must live, continue to live a godly life. If you're not right with God or you want to get right with Him, you want to get right with Him for the first time or you want to make a recommitment, you drifted all across this place, those online, every head bowed, every eye closed, and then the service will be over. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? 
You want to get right with God, do it right now. God bless you. I see that hand. Thank you for your honesty. Go for it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. I see hands going all over the place, going up. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, those that lifted your hand and didn't lift your hand, look at me. You got to grow now. Listen, if a baby stayed a baby, you'd be running that child to every doctor there was. You can't stay an infant in Christianity. You give your heart to Jesus and start growing. Get into the foundations class. Get into these things that we have that are, that'll teach you to grow. Learn, well, is Jesus God? Yes, prove it. Can you prove it? If you can't prove it, you need to get trained. Why do we worship? Why do we lift our hands? Why do we sing? What's, what's, why do we do that? Why is the word of God the word of God? Is the word of God really the word of God? Or is it just a word that some man wrote? Because see, if it's not absolute truth, then you won't take it as absolute truth and you won't obey it as absolute truth and you'll think it's one of many truths and then you'll get mixed up in this, this holo holo hodgepodge of secular humanism. You'll have no power, no authority. You'll be in bondage all of your life, all jacked up and wonder where God is. God is right here telling you through my mouth to get discipled, to grow, to renew your mind, to cut every tie and every cord of hell. Quit playing church. Quit playing church. Get right with God. Live for him. Come on, pick up your Bible, start reading it, start praying. Push yourself away from the knuckleheads that are around you. And make this place like your second home and become a disciple and then begin to make disciples. Can you say amen? Come on, if that's you, you want to give your heart to Jesus first time, make a recommitment. Let's pray right out loud. Repeat after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place and to rise again from the grave for me. Forgive me of all of my sin and come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me new. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer.